the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's up, Porch? How are we doing tonight? Hey, my name is Timothy Atik, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here on Sunday mornings in here at the porch. If this is your first time with us, I am so glad that you made it. Welcome uh, here in the room and also to everyone watching online. I want to say hello to Porch Life, Des Moines and Tulsa, uh, Boise, Scottsdale. So glad that you are tuning in tonight. It is a really important night because we're starting a new series that's going to last about five weeks, and we are walking through the most famous chapter in the entire Bible. So even if you're new to the Bible or new to Christianity, the chances of you having heard the 23rd Psalm are very, very high. And so I'm so glad that you made it. It's going to be a great series. I want to start just by sharing with you uh, that when I started dating my wife, Catherine, on our third date, I took her to the State Fair of Texas. Yeah. So when we were at the state fair, I decided that there's no better way to get to know someone than by riding the Texas Sky Coaster, which is the crane that lifts you up 189 feet in the air while you're strapped together in a harness, and then you pull a cord and it drops you and you swing through the sky. The reason that I wanted to do that with Catherine is because you can learn a lot about someone at 189 feet in the air. Because if you just put yourself in a position where you have no control, who you really are comes out. And so if you wanna know who someone is, just put them in a place where they feel little control at 189 feet in the air. I'll just tell you what Catherine learned about me while we were hanging in the sky. As we were being lifted into the air, I didn't choose to do this, I just did this involuntarily. I just began to sing. It's just what <laughs> apparently I do when I feel no control. So as we were being lifted up, here's what I did. I go, it's a beautiful day. Skies roll feet. That's a U2 song from a long time ago. If you're like you who, you too, they'll change your life anyway. That's what I did while we were being raised up. And then when I pulled the cord and we began to swing through the sky, I began to Christian cuss. I was going to seminary at the time. And so I just began to scream, oh my gentle Judas. That is what came out of my mouth. That's what happens when Timothy Atik is not in control. And I tell you that because as we start this new series, it's just good to think about where you're at in life right now. And I just want you to think, what is the area of your life right now where you feel little to no control? 
Is there an area of your life where you feel little to no control? What is the one area of your life where you can't exactly see if everything is going to work out? For you, it might be your relationship status. It might be your job status. It might be your financial status. It could be your physical health status. I don't know what it is for you. But if you feel little to no control over a certain area of your life, I just wonder if we bought the video of your life's sky coaster, what would we see you doing as you grasp for control? Because it's interesting, when people are being raised up on that Texas sky coaster, it's like they begin hugging themselves, like grabbing onto the harness is going to do something. And when we feel out of control, we begin to panic. And so if you feel out of control in your relationship status, you might quickly settle for the wrong person. Because you're nervous that it's not going to work out, like the, the wedding circuit has already passed through one round. And more and more of your friends are getting married, but you're not. Or maybe you're, you're just in that place where you're in your second job right out of college. You've already gone through one and, and you're getting that three, four, five month itch where you're like, you know what? This just isn't my dream job. I'm just not that happy. I need to start looking for something else. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe... Maybe you have a struggle with pornography and the reason that you're struggling with pornography, it's a control issue. You're like, I had no clue that that is why I'm looking at porn. It's because you're, you're, you're scared of rejection and so you can slip into a fantasy world and there is no rejection. It's the one place where you can control every aspect of your sexual experience. And so it's just good for us to dial in like if, if there was a video of the sky coaster of your life, whatever that area is of your life where you feel little to no control, how do you panic? Like what does it look like for you to panic? And what I want to do tonight is I just want to show you that there's a better way. We're looking at the most famous chapter in the Bible, and it was written by a guy named David. If, if you're new to the Bible, I guarantee you there's a good chance that you know something about David. David's the guy who, who slayed the giant with a sling and a stone. And David writes this psalm and listen to how he starts it. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Another translation puts it this way, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Another translation puts it this way, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. And you might be sitting there saying, yeah, but he was king, of course he had all that he needs. You just need to know exactly who's writing this. David had some high highs. Yes, he was king, yes, he did conquer a giant, but David also lived on the run for 15 years. Like he didn't sleep in his own bed for 15 years. He was hiding out in caves because the current king was trying to kill him. His best friend was killed. His daughter was raped. Four of his sons died prematurely. He had to lead his country through a multiple year famine. And yet that guy is able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And so what I'm trying to get you to understand is that David walked through life with peace, but that peace wasn't because of what he had. 
That peace was because of who had him. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you from panic to peace. Like whatever area of your life feels out of control, the good news is this, you don't have to be in control because Jesus Christ already is. And so I am inviting you from panic to peace tonight. The key is to know God as shepherd. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Have you ever thought, what does David mean when he says that the Lord is my shepherd? Like if we're not careful, we'll just blaze right past that. But we have to take the time to understand what does it mean that the Lord is our shepherd. That's a tough analogy because, I mean, maybe there's like one person in here who spent some time around some sheep. But for the rest of us, it's kind of not our thing. Like we're not very familiar with sheep. And so the analogy doesn't connect, but for David, it did connect. Like you need to understand the reason that David used the imagery of the shepherd was because David's dad was a shepherd. But it wasn't just that David's dad was a shepherd, David was a shepherd. And it's not just that David was a shepherd of sheep. Kings in the ancient Near East were referred to as shepherd kings. So David shepherded the nation of Israel when he was king. But not only that, David was written into God's story. And in the Old Testament, if you were to read the Old Testament, you would see that God is pictured as a shepherd of his people. That's why Psalm 78, 52 says, then he, that's God, led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. So when David uses this analogy, it's like a football coach using a football analogy. Nothing makes more sense. In fact, David wrote uh, just a little over half of the Psalms. And up until this point, when he refers to God as shepherd, it's the most intimate analogy that he has used of God to this point. It's very intimate for David. But if we're not careful, we'll just blow past the beauty of God being our shepherd. But peace is found in knowing God as shepherd. What I hope you see tonight is this. Here's the key. Don't miss it. His identity, God's identity as shepherd brings peace to our reality. So whatever your reality is right now, whatever feels out of control for you, wherever you're hitting the panic button, his identity brings peace to our reality and clarity to our activity. So who he is informs how we live. His identity brings peace to our reality and clarity to our activity. So we want to dial into what it means when David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And the reason that we need to fight for clarity is because Jesus actually picks up the imagery of the shepherd in John 10 verse 11 when he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So here at the porch, our hope is that you would see Jesus clearly. By us understanding what David means when he refers to God as shepherd, we will see Jesus more clearly because Jesus picks up the analogy and calls himself the good shepherd shepherd. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I believe that he is saying at least five things. 
And I want you to understand God's identity so that it will bring peace to your reality and clarity to your activity. First, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I believe that David is saying, the Lord is my leader. The Lord is my leader. Why do I say that? Well, look at the verbs that David uses as he continues in the psalm. He starts out in verse 1 of Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want Verse two, watch this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now watch the verb. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is leader. In the ancient Near East, shepherds didn't drive their sheep from behind like Western shepherds do. No, the shepherd would go in front of the sheep and the sheep would follow the shepherd as the leader. When David says that God is leader, here's what that means for God to be leader. It means that he is in charge of the path and the pace. He's in charge of where we go and how fast we get there. So think about David's life. If you don't know much about David, he was told that he would become king of the nation of Israel at around the age of 15. Do you know what age he actually became king? at the age of 30. So for a 15 year period, do you know what the path was? The path was being on the run from the outgoing king trying to kill him. What was the pace? 15 years. When God led the nation of Israel like a flock, what was the path? It was wandering around in the desert. What was the pace? 40 years. God is in charge of the path and the pace. Another way to say it is God is in charge of the wheres and the whens of our lives. And the reason that that is so important for us to identify is that the majority of the questions that we are asking that cause us stress either start with where or when. When am I going to finally meet someone? When and where am I going to meet my people in Dallas? Where am I supposed to get plugged in? Where am I going to live? Where am I going to work? Where am I supposed to invest? When am I going to get out of debt? When, I'm going to, when am I going to start feeling better? When am I going to get a better job? When am I going to finally figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life? It's the where's and the when's that cause us stress. These are questions about the path and the pace. If you are frustrated with God right now, you're probably frustrated about his leadership because he's in charge of the path and the pace. He, you don't like how, where he's leading you and how fast he is leading you there. We moved to Dallas from College Station right at the end of 2021. So we showed up to Dallas basically January 2nd of 2022. And I'm just being straight up honest with you guys, 2022 was the hardest year of my life. Hardest year of my life. We loved our lives in College Station. We loved the ministry that we were a part of in College Station. We were content in College Station and God interrupted our lives and he called us to Dallas. Like it was just so abundantly clear that we were supposed to leave what we were doing in College Station and come to Dallas. And we came to Dallas. And man, we just faced one challenge after another. 
Okay, we had housing issues, we had schooling issues, we had um, significant issues on several different fronts. Some stuff, if I share with you, you'd be like, that's crazy. Truly. And there were moments during 2022 where I found myself talking to God as honestly as I could, saying, why did you call us here? Do you know what it was a question of? It was a question of the path. God, I don't like the path that you have us on. I like the place where you had us, and now you're leading us on this path which is filled with trials, filled with heartache, filled with confusion. It's a question about the path. Fortunately, in 2023, he's led us to greener pastures. But man, I know what it is like to struggle with the path or the pace. But I still remember sitting right there on that front row during a worship service, and we began to sing the goodness of God. And it says, your goodness is running after me. That's a line from Psalm 23. And it was in that moment that I realized that all of 2022, the hardest year of my life, God's goodness was chasing me the entire time, which is pretty cool to think that God was going before me because he was my leader, and yet somehow he was coming behind me with his goodness. And so I was able to trust him as my leader, even though I didn't like the path and I didn't like the pace. Some of you guys are trying to decide if you should trust God's leadership by looking at the path and the pace. But you've got to flip it. You have to learn to trust the path and the pace from looking at the leader. Don't look, don't, don't flip it. Don't figure out if you'll trust the leader by looking at the path and the pace. Look at the leader so that you know you can trust the path and the pace. You can trust the character of God. God's identity informs our activity. He is leader. So we follow. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he is saying, the Lord is my leader. The second thing that David is saying when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, is he's saying, the Lord is my owner. Now that's weird wording. Where do I get that from in scripture? Okay, because I'm not just going to throw out opinions to you. Like we stand on the word of God here at the porch because we think that God has gone to great lengths to give us his words. So where I find that is in John chapter 10, which is the most thorough passage where Jesus picks up the analogy of being the shepherd. He says in verse 11 that he is the good shepherd. Now watch this in verse 12 of John chapter 10. Jesus says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. There, Jesus is talking about ownership. He says, look, the hired hand, the hired hand does not what? He does not own the sheep. The shepherd owns the sheep. To say that the Lord is my shepherd is to say the Lord is my owner. Now, I want you to see the correlation that Jesus makes between ownership and care. Because he says that the hired hand doesn't own the sheep, but he says, 
he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So because he doesn't own the sheep, he doesn't care about the sheep. So the inverse must be true. For the shepherd to own the sheep means that the shepherd cares about the sheep. And here's the reality. When th- this is just the way things work in our world. When you own something, you are the one who cares about it the most. That's the reality. When you own something, no one cares more about it than you. Like, I'll give you an example from my life. Uh, when we lived in College Station, I would drive to Houston to speak a lot. And I left a speaking engagement. It was on a Wednesday night. I had not eaten dinner. I was driving back to College Station. It's about an hour and 15 minute drive. And I was super hungry. And so I Google Maps to Chick-fil-A. And so I found a Chick-fil-A on Highway 290 in Cyprus, and uh, it said that Chick-fil-A closed at 10 o'clock, and my map was showing that I was going to arrive at 9.58, so I was coming in hot, people. (laughs) Needed a 12-count, some sweet tea with two Chick-fil-A sauce and two ketchups, so I'm coming in hot. I, I come around the corner. I come around the corner into the parking lot. I can see the drive through at the end. And I, I am making my way to the entrance of the drive-thru, and out of the corner of my left eye, I see a high school kid in a red shirt sprinting across the parking lot. And I'm, like, life goes into slow motion at that point, where I'm, like, trying to figure out what is happening. I'm driving to the drive-thru. Small man in a red shirt sprinting across the parking lot. And then I realized he's racing me. And he's trying to beat me there to put a cone in the entrance to keep me from getting my 12 count into sweet tea. So what did I do? I floored it. I floored it across the parking lot. I beat him to the entrance. I rolled down my window. I said, were you racing me? He goes, yeah. I was like, cool, man, sorry, and I pulled around, and I ordered. But in that moment, do you know what I was reminded? I was reminded that kid does not own Chick-fil-A. He doesn't. He is not an owner. Because I've interacted with multiple Chick-fil-A operators. I've even had a chance to talk to Dan Cathy for two minutes. And it is clear, if you talk to someone who operates or owns Chick-fil-A, it is very clear that they care about their customers and chicken. (laughs) They care deeply. It is their pleasure (laughs) to care about their people. Because that's what owners do. Owners care the most. To know Jesus as your shepherd is to know the one who cares the most about your life. So I just want to say something, and it's just going to fly past some of you, and then some of you, it's going to hit you between the eyes, and it's the one thing God brought you here to hear. No one cares more about you than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ cares more about you than you care about you. Like he cares more about you than even you care about yourself. So that's why Peter's words 
in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 should be what some of you take as your application for tonight. Because what does he say? He says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares. Because he cares for you. Cast all of your anxiety. So whatever that area is of your life where you can't see around the corner, you don't know how it's going to turn out, you can't control the outcome, whatever that thing is, cast all of it on his shoulders. Take it off of your shoulders, drop it on his. His shoulders are far more sturdy than yours are. You can walk in freedom that you don't have to carry it because he cares for you. The Lord is your owner. But it's not just that the Lord is our leader or our owner. Number three, when David says the Lord is my shepherd, is he's saying the Lord is my provider. He's my provider. That's why David is able to say in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I, I lack nothing. So remember, the Old Testament positions God as a shepherd who led the, the nation of Israel like sheep. Well, God led them through the desert for 40 years. How did God provide for them? Well, he made a deal with them. He said, here's the deal. If you want to eat, like if you want food to eat, here's how things are going to work in my economy. You're going to wake up in the morning and there is magically going to be food for you to eat. It's just going to appear, but only take what you need for that one day. Don't save anything. Don't, don't store it up. Don't get out any Tupperware and pack stuff up. You eat what you need. And then you trust that when you wake up the next morning, there will be more food. What did the Israelites do? They tried to stockpile it. That's what we do. They, they tried to stockpile it just in case God's buffet closed for cleaning one day. And so it begins to get moldy and has bugs growing in it. How long did God expect them to operate with that type of provision rhythm. Exodus 16, 35 says, the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years. For 40 years, God expected the nation of Israel to just trust that when they woke up in the morning, he, as their good shepherd, would provide for them. It makes, it makes sense now that when Jesus teaches us to pray the Lord's Prayer, what does he teach us to pray? Give us this day, our daily bread. Like Jesus wants that type of relationship with us where we need him to daily show up and provide in our lives. Here's the issue though that we have. We believe that peace and joy is found in control. Like we believe that our greatest peace and our greatest joy will be found when we feel in complete control. And Jesus is like, no, joy isn't found in control. Joy is found in dependence. Your greatest joy is found in Jesus showing up in significant ways in your life. But we don't want to trust. So just think about it. When the pandemic hit, like if you remember like the first week, it was March 2020. Like when the world went like went bananas, like everyone lost their minds. What did everyone do? They went to the stores and what's the one thing everyone bought? Toilet paper. 
people were like, I can't live without toilet paper. Like, I'm not going to lose a sock. Like, I am going to buy. I don't care if anyone else has something to use when they're going to the bathroom, but I'm buying the whole shelf because if I've got to go into hibernation for the next decade, I'm going to have three squares per moment for 10 years. And that's fine. I mean, that's fine if a pandemic hits and you want to stockpile toilet paper and bottled water. You can. But there are certain things you cannot stockpile in this life. Like, you can't just stockpile, like, job offers. You can't just stockpile people who want to marry you. You can't just... Some of y'all are like, I can. (laughs) That's a problem. Can't stockpile everything. You will have, you will have to trust the Lord to provide. And that's where joy is found. So when we were moving from College Station to Dallas, we decided like at the end of November, we were actually going to come to Dallas. And then we decided we were going to try and get here for our kids to start school by January 2nd. And some of you are like, oh man, that, that gave you a whole month to pack up the back of your car and move. No, people got three kids. If, if it took like two 26-foot-long trucks to move the Atik family. This isn't like popping the back window and just putting some stuff in. So we found ourselves in a place where we needed to sell our house really quickly. We needed to find a house really quickly. And we needed, we were looking for a learning different school for one of our kids. And we had none of those things. We were trying to sell our house in Two days before we were going to put it on the market, some guys came to fix our wood floors and this guy ruined. Like we we were trying to replace just two feet of wood from the door to here. He started chopping wood back here and then I watched him stop and realize that he had made a mistake and we have this massive divot in our floor. Two days before we're going to put it on the market. Then we tried to find a house to buy and it was at the point where the market was at the peak and there was nothing for sale. And then I came to Dallas and I visited six different learning different schools for my kids and none of them were a fit. So I called the public school and they were like, we don't have room for them. We'll have to send them to a different public school temporarily. And I was like, God, what are you doing? Like, this makes no sense. You called us to go to Dallas. I've got a divot in my floor We can't find a house to buy and there's no place to, not even the public school can take my kid. And it put us in a place where God had to provide. So God worked a miracle and some other wood company came, replaced the floor. An elder at a church made a phone call and there just happened to be someone renting a house a few streets from the public school we were hoping to go to. And then the public school called me back and said, We've got a space for your kid. And each of those things happened in this short period of time. And it was all the Lord just saying, wait and watch. Don't, don't panic. Just, just wait and watch. It makes me think of John chapter 6 where Jesus feeds the 5,000. He asks his disciples a question. He says, where are we going to get enough food to feed all these people? And I love what the text says. 
It says he asked this knowing, he, he asked this to test him because he knew what he was going to do. That's so encouraging. He said this to test them knowing what he was going to do. I just wonder if there's times where God's like, oh my gosh, where are you going to get a job? Where, did, where do you even get those? And I just wonder how many moments in our life, like the, the, the parentheses reads, he said this to test you because he already knows what he's going to do. Our job is to wait and watch, is to trust in our Lord who is provider. Here is the reality, and I need you to hear this. <clears throat> You might not always have what you want, but you will most certainly always have what you need. You might not always have what you want. You might not. You might not always have what you want, but you will most certainly always have what you need. And some of y'all are like, wrong. Wrong. Because I don't have what I need right now. And I would just say, you might not have what you think you need, but just remember, Jesus cares more about you than you care about you, which means God knows what you need more than you even know what you need. So the fact that I know that he has given you what you need is explained by you being here tonight. The fact that you're still standing. Some of y'all might be like, but I'm hanging by a thread, but you're still hanging by a thread. Because God has given you this day's bread. And tomorrow, he will be enough for what you need tomorrow. And if you ever question God as a provider, all you have to do is read what Jesus says in, at the end of John 10 is he still uses the shepherd imagery. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Watch this, verse 28, I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. He has given you what you need most. What do you need most? Him. Everything you need is found in having Jesus and being had by Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, he gives you eternal life, life with him. So when, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying the Lord is my leader, saying the Lord is my owner, the Lord is my provider, but he's also saying the Lord is my protector. The Lord is my protector. Remember the most famous story about David. It's where he conquers Goliath. Well, why was David even at the battlefield? Because David was about 18 years old at the time, and you had to be 20 years old to fight in the army. David was there because he was basically his dad's charcuterie board boy. His dad, get, you're like, what does that even mean? What is that? And where do you get them? Um, David's dad says, here's some cheese and some bread. Go feed your brothers who are at war. So he's basically the cart boy shows up with some cheese and bread. And while he's there, he hears Goliath taunting God's people, 
And he says, this is a problem. I'm going to do something about it. And so he goes and he stands before the king and tells the king that he wants to do something about it. And Saul, the king, is like, look, you don't stand a chance. You're a kid. That guy's a champion. He's a warrior. Listen to what David says because he uses shepherd imagery and it gives us some explanation about what it means for the Lord to be our shepherd. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I love this. This is such a boss thing to say. He says, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. That is something I will never be able to say in my life. Like I, I grabbed the beard of a lion and dropped him. It's amazing. But what's his point? His point is I'm the protector of my sheep. So when David says the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, you're my protector. Just as I would protect my sheep, you protect me. And when we know Jesus is our shepherd, he is our protector. Because what David did to that lion is what Jesus has done to Satan's sin and death. When Jesus Christ went to the cross and declared, it is finished, and then when he was put in a tomb, and then especially when he walked out of that tomb, it was him grabbing Satan's sin and death by the beard, striking them, and killing them. Delivering the death blow that will resound throughout eternity. Jesus Christ is our protector. He went to the cross to deal a death blow to Satan's sin and death. So the victory's already been won. Like it's March Madness right now. Satan is basically that guy who looks at the score. He's like, I've already lost, but I'm just going to foul as much as I can on the way out. He's already lost. He's just trying to foul until the end. So my encouragement to you is to get behind Jesus, your protector. You're like, well, what does that look like? Well, there's three practical ways that Jesus offers us protection. Number one, he gives us his word. He gives us his word so we can know his ways, so we can walk in his will. And his will is described as being good, pleasing, and perfect. Number two, he gives us his spirit. God actually comes and lives inside of us. And the Spirit of God is active and has every intention of living a life through us that is marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness. And then the last one's huge, self-control. And then God has given us his people. So we can gather here on Tuesday nights and Sunday mornings. We can remind ourselves of what is true, but then we can leave here and we can walk together through life and we can encourage each other. We can go to battle for one another and we can hold each other up. We can remind one another of what is true so that we can walk in victory. He is our protector. So if you feel beat down by sin right now, maybe you're living with the schema in your mind. I'm a failure. There's no way out. I will never break free from this. What a lie from the pit of hell. Because when you say I'll never be free from this, no, Jesus Christ, when you put your trust in him, he already freed you from the penalty of sin. And he actually freed you from the power of sin, it's just that we keep putting the chains back on. 
And Jesus is saying, no, drop them, take them off. But that might mean you changing your relationship with his word, changing your relationship with his spirit, where you actually begin to wake up every day and saying, spirit, fill me. Fill me full, bear the fruit of self-control in my life. And it might mean changing your relationship with God's people, where you allow yourself to be fully known and fully loved. Finally, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's also saying, the Lord is my physician. The Lord is my physician. There's a guy, Philip Keller, who wrote a book as a shepherd. He himself is a shepherd. He wrote a book on Psalm 23. Here's what he said. He said, sheep require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. It's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind, our mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, look, the Lord is my physician. He is, he's the one who deals with the hurts and habits of my own life. And so let me just say this, like God sees you. He sees all of you. You can't hide from God. You don't want to hide from God. But God isn't coming for you in judgment. If you know him, he wants to to bring you in and heal what is broken in your life. And if you don't know him, like turn to him today. Because if you don't, there will come a day of judgment. But today he is inviting you into relationship with him. And he wants to be your physician. Because we all have things in our lives that are broken. You're like, what in my life is broken? Well, let me ask you this. If, if everything you do, the clothes that you wear, the way that you talk, the car that you drive, if it is all to win people's approval, can't we agree there's something broken with that? Like, if, if, if it does not take much for you to lose control of your temper and you rage like on a dime, can't we agree there's, there's, something, there's something broken there? If, if you look in the mirror and all you see is something negative, you only see the negatives in your life. Can't we agree there, there's something broken there. If you regularly lie, exaggerate, or tell half-truths about who you are, what you have, or what you've done to make yourself look better than you really are, can't we agree there's something, there's something busted there? If you use guys or you use girls to make yourself feel significant and valuable, you're using another person. Can't we agree there, there's something busted broken there. If you continue to do things that you don't want to do, you continually run to porn or alcohol or drugs or whatever it is for you, can't we agree there's something broken there? I don't say that to shame you. I, I say that to call you to your good shepherd who wants to be your physician. And we all have something broken and we all need healing. And it is his joy to heal us. God wants you to know him as your shepherd. His identity is what brings peace to our reality and clarity to our activity. So because he is leader, look, 
Because he is leader, we don't have to figure out the future now. We don't. Because he is owner, we can rest tonight in the fact that he cares more than we care about ourselves. Because he's provider, we can rest in the fact that we might not always have what we want, but we will certainly always have what we need. Because, because he is protector, we can, we can look to his provision for us of his word, of his spirit, of his people, and we can take steps towards victory. And because he's physician, we can step out of brokenness into healing. Would you know your good shepherd tonight? And then I'll, I'll finish just by saying this. Some of you tonight, like my hope is that for the majority of people, you're gonna leave here in this week, all throughout the week, you're gonna find yourself just whispering under your breath. Like especially when you feel stressed out or you begin to panic because you're not in control. My hope is that all throughout the week, under your breath, you're gonna find yourself saying, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You're gonna put it on your, your home screen. You're gonna tape it to your computer screen. You're gonna put it all over all over the place, on your mirror, on your dashboard, just to remind yourself, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But some of you tonight just need to realize that you can't say with full integrity, the Lord is my shepherd. You might be able to say the Lord is a shepherd because you just heard a message about Jesus being shepherd, but you can't say with authenticity, the Lord is my shepherd because you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ. You've never turned from your sin and put your trust in Jesus. And so maybe God brought you here tonight simply so that you could hear the words of Isaiah 53, six. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What does that mean? It means that every single one of us has wandered away from God in sin. And because of our sin, we deserve eternal separation from God. But the good news is Jesus in John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What's interesting is Jesus, as the good shepherd, laid his life down as a lamb without blemish. And he was the good shepherd by becoming the lamb that would take away the sins of the world. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And on the cross, he bore all of our sins. He was put in a tomb and on the third day, he walked out of it, conquering Satan's sin and death for all those who had put their trust in him. If you don't know him, then my encouragement to you is to come to him in faith tonight and invite him into your life to be your good shepherd. To know Jesus as savior is to know him as shepherd. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, if there is anyone in the room right now who does not know you, then I pray that they would just sense in this moment that you're calling them by name. John 10 says that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I pray that right now someone would hear your voice just calling out to them to come and follow you. And I pray that they would receive you as Savior and experience complete forgiveness of sins. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are, in fact, a good shepherd. I pray that we, your sheep, would do business with you right now and our weeks would look different because we submit to your leadership and we rest in the fact that you are our owner. You care about us the most. You're our provider and our protector and our physician. So do a great work in our lives. May we not just leave here unmoved or unchanged. Speak to our hearts now. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.